We come here to worship You. We come here to grow in You, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, Lord. We pray by the power of Your Holy Spirit that You'd quicken these truths to our hearts, Lord. I pray that we wouldn't be the same as we leave today. I pray, Lord, that uh, You administer to each one here individually, but also corporately, Lord. And I pray for those this morning that may be troubled, hurting, brokenhearted, struggling. I pray for them, Lord, that this morning You would touch their hearts, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before you sit down, can you say hello to a couple people, please? All righty, come on in, have a seat. And uh, if you're outside and you want to come on in, there's a few seats available for you. Don't be shy. All right, so uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, go ahead and take them out and turn to the book of Luke chapter 5. And just hang on there. But uh, before... We get into that. Uh, we want to honor our mothers here. So if you are a mother, would you please stand up? Yay, mothers, stay, stay standing up, please. And that includes expecting mothers, if there's an expecting mother here. So um, what we'd like to do is have little ones go and give you a flower so stay standing up come on out guys guys and gals there they come come on over this way too <laughs> stay standing up please keep it coming We have a couple up front, you guys, up here. Up here. <laughs> there we go. Okay, stay standing up. So, um, does every mom have a flower? Yes? Okay, so we want to pray for you now. So if you will all find a local mom near you and lay hands on the local mom, like where you are, find a mom. There we go. Okay. So we're going to pray for you moms. So Heavenly Father, uh, what a, a gift that we have with the mothers that you've blessed us with, Lord, and I just want to pray you bless them today, Lord. No doubt, um, mothers carry so many burdens, Lord. Mothers carry much of the, the brunt of what goes on in families. And I pray for them today that you would strengthen them and their inner person, that they would today in a new way know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge in a deeper and a new way, Lord. I pray that now, as uh, we are laying hands on them and praying for them, they would uh, experience just the move of the Holy Spirit in their hearts and their minds. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would give them uh, a de continued determination in their convictions, but also soft hearts uh, to continue in compassion and love sacrificially that they so often do, Lord. And so this day, may they be recognized, appreciated, acknowledged, loved, and most importantly, blessed by you, our Heavenly Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated now. And so, thank you, moms. I know this uh, also is, is a tough day for some, for many reasons, when we think about Mother's Day and we think about um, maybe 
failings or maybe we've lost a mother or maybe we're not in communication with our mother or maybe as a mother you feel like you haven't measured up and so I want to encourage you that the Lord knows and sees your heart and the most important thing is that He loves you and He is the great comforter and the almighty comforter and so whatever the situation may we keep our eyes on our heavenly father who loves us without change and without measure and may we appreciate the institution of motherhood and to be a mother in our days is maybe one of the most difficult things and not to mention how it's um diminished so much in our society and its role and how it's frowned upon um, by the feminist movement and how it's looked upon as a lesser, in many cases, role or status. And that's only because Satan is saying that and not because God's saying that. And God sees motherhood as the highest role uh, that can be played. And the sacrificial love that a mother shows and demonstrates is Christ-like. There's not much more that we can say when we see a mother that's honoring her Heavenly Father by the way she mothers her children and raises up the next generation. And so there's, there's a reason there's a ta- an attack on motherhood. And so we at our church... We want to say that motherhood is the ultimate um, expression of God's love in a certain context. And we want to celebrate that and honor that and don't ever want to diminish that or think that that is a lesser role. So congratulations, mothers. God bless you. And may your children treat you well today. So with that, What a great thing for a mother to be in church with her children on Mother's Day. So let's take a look at the scripture before us. We're in Luke chapter 5. We're going to cover the section of scripture from verses 12 to 16. And we're going to read through that section together. And then we're going to dive in a little deeper and break it apart. So... Verse 12, it says, And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and a great multitude came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. We look at this account. We are facing, just as this particular individual had to face his particular condition, we too are facing the disease of our soul in sin. As we look at the condition of leprosy, leprosy was a physical example or illustration or picture of sin. And it reminds me of a story I read about a certain condition. Some of you may have heard of this. uh, About 150 years ago called childbed fever. Has anybody ever heard of that? Childbed fever. And the, the problem is that during this time, one in six newborns were dying in the hospital. One in six. And the doctor's daily routine would be first to go 
and perform autopsies. And then go and do examinations on expectant mothers after that without washing their hands. And so this doctor from Hungary, Ignaz Simmelweis, if you can remember that, he started to think about and connect the possibility of that routine that the doctors would have and started washing his hands after the autopsy. And as he began to do that over a course of 11 years, the death rate for the particular mothers and babies that he was working on dropped to 1 in 50. And so he began to go around and preach and teach and encourage people to or doctors to really look at their uh, technique and the routines and, and to either encourage them to do the autopsies after they worked with the expectant mothers or to do the autopsies, uh, uh, wash their hands after the autopsies. But nobody would listen. And so that death rate continued and continued until they were able to look at the um, microorganisms underneath a um, microscope and realize there was bacteria there when they were working on the expectant mothers. But see, that story is interesting, but it, it kind of illustrates uh, many of our condition before the Lord to where we often fail to realize our true condition of being unclean before the Lord. Now, not as believers, because as believers, what happens when we become believers is we are washed from our sins. We become clean spiritually. But many experience the pain and the symptoms of sin without ever making the connection as to why are they experiencing the symptoms of sin. And that connection is that sin is so destructive and hurtful and harmful. And that's what we see in the leper. So now as we look at the leper, this, this illustration of a person with a condition that would be so terrible and so difficult that they would be considered as the walking dead. It would be devastating. And we see that just here in this text as we begin to unfold it. Uh, notice in, in verse 12, as Jesus is ministering and going around, it, it was by divine providence then that he encounters this leper. And it says he was full of leprosy and he saw Jesus. So that statement there, full of leprosy and then seeing Jesus is just so poignant in the fact of the contrary lives that are being put before us. Jesus being perfectly clean, sinless, and spotless. And a leper being full of disease and full of uh, isolation and separation. I'd like to read for you just to get a, a little bit better idea of, of leprosy and what it would be like in Jesus' day to be a leper. This is from the daily Bible study from William Barclay when he, he describes this condition. He said it might begin with little nodules which go on to ulcerate, to cause an ulcer. Ulcers develop a foul discharge. Eyebrows fall out. The eyes become staring. The vocal cords become ulcerated. The voice becomes hoarse. The breath wheezes. The hands and feel always ulcerate. Slowly, the sufferer becomes a mass of ulcerated growths. The average course of that kind of leprosy is nine years and ends in mental decay, coma, and ultimately death. Leprosy might begin with the loss of all sensation in some part of the body. The nerve trunks are affected. The muscles waste away. The tendons contract until the hands are claw-like. There fo follows ulceration of the hands and feet. 
Then comes the progressive loss of fingers and toes until the end of a whole hand or a whole foot may drop off. The duration of that kind of leprosy is anything from 20 to 30 years. It is a kind of terrible progressive death in which a man dies by inches. And so here Jesus is confronting this man in this condition. So if we were sort of to put ourselves in this man's sandals, we would find ourselves in a place where not only are we experiencing these, these physical problems that we're constantly struggling with and dealing with, but there would also be great social dilemmas and problems. There would be great psychological and emotional problems. For example, the the leper would have to be separated. Separated from what? So because they were considered unclean, they would have to be separated, one, from worship in the temple. So they were not able to worship in the temple. Now it's interesting that that would be considered a disease. Someone that wasn't able to worship in the temple, that would be because of some sickness, something not right, in their life that would keep them from worship. So what that tells us is that worship, even to the Jews at that time, would be the center of everything that they did. So the temple, and then if you didn't live near the temple, it would be in the synagogues, and that's where you would go. And worship would be an integral part of their daily life. And so someone who wouldn't participate or be a part of that would be someone who would somehow have some kind of sickness or disease. But I see a great parallel there because the same can be said when we fall out of fellowship with the Lord, we also fall into places where we are not fellowshipping with the people of the Lord. So that's because of some sort of sickness or some sort of disease. And so there's an answer to that. So We'll see that in a minute, but this individual, was he, was he was so sick that now he couldn't worship with the people of God. He was kept away, but not only that, imagine one day you, you wake up and you have a little blemish on your hand or forehead or where, wherever it was, and the thought that must go through your head, oh no, is this... Leprosy? Could this be leprosy? Because if it was, and and it would be the priest that they would have to go to, and Leviticus 13 and 14 is something you want to go and read for homework if you're interested in this, and the treatment of leprosy. But when a blemish would occur, they would have to go to the priest, and the priest would determine and make the diagnosis if it's leprosy or not. But that, that fear of having leprosy and what it meant to that individual because as they see a blemish popping up on their skin through their mind, they would be thinking about, if this is leprosy, I'm done. I cannot talk to my wife or husband anymore. I can't hug my kids anymore. I can't allow my kids to come up on my lap. I can't hug them. This would, this would be a separation. And we can see the parallels to sin. Maybe we don't realize it, but sin causes separation. Sin causes separation, and even as believers, it'll affect our relationship with God. It'll cause separation in our fellowship with God. The Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they're in agreement? So sin disturbs and is a disease that separates us from God, from worship, but then it also separates us from others. So that explains why we have so many problems in the world, why it's so hard to get along. It's sin that does that. Sin separates. It separates us from God. It separates us from other people. This, this disease is such a, such a terrible disease that it does that. Not only that, 
it causes this person to be isolated and that, that isolation would sort of be like someone in, in solitary confinement. It's, it's torture to be cut off, to have to go through life knowing that, that human touch and human connection and the inability to involve oneself in society in the things going on, in the normal you know, things we take for granted. But that's another thing that sin does. It's interesting that sinners often want to isolate themselves because of the guilt and shame that Satan brings about to the person that's in sin. So Satan tempts a person to sin, and then when they sin, then he brings guilt and shame upon them. That makes them want to isolate and I believe that's a big reason why we're in a time where we're seeing so much uh, what the Bible calls lewdness, which lewdness is not having shame or, or, like the Bible puts it, not blushing for your sin. Things that should be shameful, things that should be embarrassing now are paraded and pushed and celebrated in society. And I believe that's Satan's way of pushing back and counteracting the way that isolation occurs in the sinner's life. Instead of a person repenting of their sin, now they're pushing back, causing more guilt and shame because even though they outwardly celebrate their sin, Inwardly, they can't escape the conviction of their sin. And so there's this extreme isolation. And a lot of times we may see a person seem to be proud about their sin or celebrating their sin, but make no mistake, in their heart, they're feeling the guilt and the shame, and Satan is trying to isolate them. That's why so many people in, in flagrant sin end up committing suicide because of the isolation. The, the third thing that, that we see, and it's very interesting, that leprosy actually causes numbness. That's primarily the way people of, uh, with leprosy die, is they, they get numbness to where they can't feel their hands or their feet, so to speak. And because of that, so they have no pain tolerance. So they're stepping on things, touching things, exposing them selves to things that would be very harmful to them and they wouldn't know it. So like, you know, touching a hot stove and not feeling the pain and having their hands burn. Stepping on a nail and not feeling it. You know, if you've ever had any kind of surgery and they do like a topical shot type of thing and they're doing the surgery. I had a little skin surgery last year on a little skin deal. But... I could smell my skin burning as they're like cauterizing things and I could feel it tugging, but it didn't hurt at all. It's like that. A lot of you, you know what I'm talking about. But see, with, with leprosy, it's very interesting because that's how sin is. Sin numbs us and dulls us to the sting of sin, the pain of sin. And this is one of the things that Satan wants to do. So as we sin then our hearts get hardened to it and that sin can become normalized in our life. So where there was once a time maybe where we would have been shocked by sin, now it's actually a regular part of our life. And sin, because of that, because of its numbing effect like leprosy, that type of sin actually leads to a person's death because the, the infections that come of a person that's continually injuring themselves and not experiencing the pain of that. Our pain is a God-given mechanism to keep us from harm. So when we feel pain, it tells us, don't step on that nail again. Don't touch that stove again, right? So, we, so that's a good thing. So when we lose that, and that's what sin does. And the thing about sin is it's progressive. And this is a, a 
a big lie that Satan tries to get people to think that, that you can keep a little sin in a little box and enjoy it and it'll just stay there and you can have it whenever you want it. So it's like this little thing you go to once in a while. But sin, sin is not like that. Sin is progressive. Uh, sin doesn't uh, stay in little boxes. Sin goes further and further. And where is it taking a person? Where does sin take a person? It, it takes a person to destruction. And that's why uh, many times you'll, you will be shocked maybe by tell, somebody telling you uh, something that they've gotten into or maybe they're now experiencing the, the ramifications of their sin, which the Bible says, surely your sin will find you out. So maybe you'll encounter somebody who's been in a sin secretly for a while and you'll be shocked, but to them it'll be normalized because they've been doing it for so long. They've been conditioned in the sin to do that for so long. I believe that's why Satan often brings about secret sins. And don't, don't think that a sin is really secret because what may be a secret to you is an open scandal in heaven. So your sin... You reap what you sow, and your sin will find you out. And Satan tries to get a person to sin in a way where they think they can keep it, contain it, hide it, enjoy it, and it won't have any effect. But get this, sin always has an effect. Sin always has an effect. You might want to think of sowing and reaping or cause and effect. So it just doesn't go away. It just doesn't... You know, you sin and go into some black hole and disappear somewhere. And that's one of the, the numbing effects of sin that Satan wants to present to us. Uh, not only that, and the, the last thing I want to look at in, as far as leprosy is concerned is ultimately, like leprosy, sin kills. The wages of sin, Romans 6.23 is what? Death. So the wages of sin is death. So what that means is that when you and I sin, there's a payment for it. And the payment is death. And you may say to yourself, well, I've sinned and I'm still alive. Well, the thing is, if you're a Christian, then sin is for sure killing the work of God in your life. Sin entered in in the garden as man, Adam and Eve, man, mankind, disobeyed God and obeyed the devil instead. Sin entered in, and that's where death entered in. God even told Adam and Eve, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will surely die. So here's something that's really interesting that Paul pointed out in the book of Romans chapter 4 and 5. The fact that we die, everyone dies, is evidence that we are sinners. So anyone who thinks or would, would convince themselves that they're not really sinners, I'm not really a sinner. I sin, but I do good things as well. Well, the proof of your sinful condition before God is the fact that you die. God didn't make us to die. He made us to live forever. It was sin that caused us to die. So the fact that every human being dies shows us that every human being is filled with sin. We have the disease of sin. So sin for sure, even as a believer, so I don't believe that our sin takes away our salvation. I don't believe we can lose our salvation. But I do believe that when we sin as believers, it definitely kills the work of God in our life, the fruit of the Spirit. So one of those things is it'll kill our joy. Another thing, is it'll kill our love for other people. Another thing it'll kill is our peace. And we can go on in the fruit of the Spirit. But as we sin, and as Satan tempts us into sin, we know that it's going to have a detrimental effect on all that God has called us to be and to do as believers. But if we're not believers, then sin is killing you to the extent, well, one day you will die and be separated from God forever. 
And we see that in the remedy for sin, someone still had to die, didn't they? So sin even killed our Lord because the remedy for sin caused our sinless Lord to die as He took our sin from us. So sin is devastating. Sin ravishes. If we want to look at the world and so many people are asking themselves, well, what's wrong? Why is everything so crazy? It's just one three-letter word. What? It's just that. That's, that's the problem. So now what's interesting with a leper is there is no cure for leprosy. And the, the leprosy would be something that would be seen outwardly on the skin, on the surface, but it, it would actually be an inside disease that would manifest itself outwardly. And so the cure could only be a cure that would be something that would cure the inside, not something like a topical lotion or something like that. But that's often what many people do with their sin. They start to feel the sting and the pain of it, and so they'll do something to make themselves feel better temporarily without actually getting to the problem of their sin. Now, look at the second part of that verse. And it shows us now the desperation of this individual, which sin leads to desperation. So as he sees Jesus coming, he falls on his face. And that word fell on his face is the Greek word proskuneo, which means he worshipped. He humbled himself. That word means to turn and kiss. It's the word used for worship. So as Jesus is coming by, the good thing, if there is a good thing about a leper, is they actually are aware of their condition. That's the biggest problem that many people who fail to come to Christ for salvation have is they don't see their true condition. Lepers do because it was so obvious. They're experiencing the tangible repercussions of their sin. And, and mind you, they didn't do anything to get this sin. They were born in this sin, so to speak, but they acquired the sin. So the sin they had to deal with, now it's devastating their lives, which causes a desperation. Now imagine if you and I understood sin that way. If we had a right view of sin, what do you think that would cause us to do? So you see, just from me saying that, you can kind of get an understanding that probably all of us don't have the right view of sin. We probably all have in some way been conditioned a little bit to be more accepting and tolerable and okay with sin. Because if, if we saw sin correctly, our attitude would be like this. We would be completely desperate. We would be searching frantically, desperately for answers, but ultimately we would come to Jesus like this. We'd come to Jesus falling on our face, and it says He implored Him. And that word implored means that He had a desperate plea, and He said, Lord, if you are willing, notice He's not presuming you have to heal me. Notice He's not saying, well, because of my faith, you have to heal me. He's saying, Lord, if you are willing, and when, when He's saying that, what He's saying is, I know you can, that's how he's exercising his faith. He's showing that he knows Jesus has the power and the ability. I know you can't, but he's saying, will you? Will you? He says, you can make me clean. And so will Jesus do that? And does Jesus always do that? It's a very interesting question as we see this, this interaction, Jesus, if you're willing, it, it, to some it can suggest that, well, if there's something 
in me that he's not healing, then maybe he's not willing, or maybe there's something wrong with me, or maybe there's a lack of faith on my behalf. But I want you to know, as we look at at Jesus and we look at the disciples and their healing ministries, they didn't heal everybody. And I truly believe there are certain people like the Apostle Paul, who asked God three times to take the thorn out of his side, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. But I do believe there are people that God has entrusted a sacred faith and understanding and depth of vision of eternity to where the Lord says, I have chosen you to worship me even though you're not being healed of the particular thing that you want to be healed of. See, that's a greater faith. That's a greater reward. That's a greater sacrifice to the one who can worship God when their conditions are not being met. And so when he says and asks, are you willing Jesus, in this particular case, was willing because of what he wanted to do in this particular individual's life, especially for us here, even this morning, is to show that he alone has the power to wash away our sins. But also, we must keep in mind that all of us, in some way or shape or form, are deficient. And God is not going to heal every certain thing, but it is a greater faith to honor and worship God when we are not healed. Because one day, every believer will be healed for all eternity. Think about that. And for those who have gone through this life with particular struggles, imagine what their day in eternity is going to be like when they can begin to exercise their full physical capacities as well. But he says, are you willing? And he proposes that question to Jesus. And he, says, you, he says, you can make me clean. A definitive affirmation of faith and power. Mind you, since the law had been given and completed, there's not been one Jew who had been healed of leprosy. Miriam was healed. And that was, not, that was before the law was completed. And then Naaman wasn't a Jew and was healed of leprosy in the Old Testament. But here now, so imagine, this has never happened before. And so now here's the deliverance. Look at verse 13. So Jesus puts out his hand, and he touched him. Now that was unlawful, because you couldn't touch a leper, because they are considered unclean. So here we see a... a circumstance it's really noteworthy that now Jesus isn't afraid to get contaminated by the sin and Jesus has the power not to get contaminated but not only not get contaminated but to go the other way to where his power is able to heal the contaminated without him being contaminated you see the picture of the cross so he puts his hand out and by the way this leper was was uh, risking punishment by flogging because he wasn't allowed to get near uh, someone more than six feet or if it was windy, 150 feet. And as they would get close to somebody, they would have to yell, unclean, unclean. But he didn't care. He was desperate, and desperation does that. Desperation drives us to the answer. And he, Jesus touched him, and he said, I am willing. And he says, be cleansed. And immediately, the leprosy left him. Jesus displaying the ultimate power over leprosy, which in a deeper picture shows that he has the power over sin. This is what Jesus is communicating. I have the power over sin. I have the power to do something that nobody else has ever been able to do. And then he charges him in verse 14. He tells him, tell no one 
but go show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing and a testimony to them. So the leper who is healed, his instructions are to go to the priests. Now, why did he do that? Why was this the first place that he was to go? Well, one, because in order for him to be uh, reintroduced back into the Jewish community, the priest was the one that said it was okay for him to go back. And remember, this has never happened before. And the priests, think about it, they have these instructions from Leviticus 13 and 14, very detailed about what to do if a leper comes and how to handle that. And they never had that opportunity. And so here comes this man to the priest. This was a testimony to the priesthood. This was a testimony to the Jews. This was a a testimony that the Messiah had come. Because they would know that only the Messiah could heal someone. He was the only cure for leprosy. So he wanted that information and that testimony to go back to the priest, and the priest would have to follow Leviticus 13 and 14. So you, you can imagine the priest's like, oh, wow, okay, well, let, where's Leviticus, where's that scroll for Leviticus 13? I don't know what to do. And he'd be sort of reading down through the list. I used to be a chiropractor, and when I first started and people would come in with conditions, I'd have to say, okay, hang on a second. I'd go back to my Merrick's manual and look at all these, try to figure out this, this. Okay, got it. And then you'd go back. You didn't want to come to me when I was first starting out. <laughs> but these, these, these priests, now this would be a testimony to the, to the priesthood. And as the priest would go and, and search, um, he would have to go through this process just... As, as Moses said in Leviticus 13 and 14, who, who's really going to look at that tonight? I'd encourage you to do that because there's, there's, it's layered with information and pictures and testimonies of Christ fulfilling those pictures. I'll give you a few, but basically so that the leper would come to the priest and it'd be an eight-day process. And they'd go to the temple, they'd get inspected by the priest, they'd shave, bathe, wash their clothes, uh, they would give offerings of animals, of grain, of oil. They'd go through all that. There would be a trespass offering, a sin offering, a burn offering, a meal offering. And the, during that whole time, the priest would be watching this leper to make sure that he was truly cleansed and he was truly free of that condition. So the, the priest would first have to determine, did this leper really have leprosy so that would be the first thing so it'd be the diagnosis did they really have leprosy the second thing would be are they really cured and then the third thing is they would wonder about the conditions and the approach to how they're actually healed and so that's why jesus said to go back because this is going to be a testimony to the priests when they understand so during all these procedures, during these eight days, they would have, it's interesting. So I'll give you a few of the, just the, the pictures and the typology that's going on here. So they, they would slay a bird, and that would picture the death of Christ. They would release a bird, which would p- picture the resurrection. They would put a bird in a jar, which would picture the incarnation. They had apply the blood to the ear and to the thumb and the toe, saying that is by the blood of Christ that all of our hearing and our touching and our walking has to be purified by the blood of Christ. There would be oil representing the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when we get saved. There would be cedar wood, which is a wood that preserves things around it. There would be scarlet, which would be red for the blood atonement. There would be hyssop involved, for the, which is a purifying plant. And so this all speaks of the cleansing power of Jesus. So when this individual would come to the priest and, 
everybody would know that he had leprosy and the priest would see him and notice that the leprosy left him immediately. So it wasn't like he had anything left. It was immediately gone. He was completely restored 100%, which is a picture of our salvation, of being justified before God the moment we put our faith in Christ. It's immediate. Our, our, our penalty and punishment for sin immediately leaves. And so this picture then as it develops, what we have is the expression of faith by this individual that resulted in an understanding of the cleansing power of Jesus Christ. That only He could do this. Only He had the power. And what leprosy would be like and look like was only a physical, temporary picture of the true condition of our heart before God a heart filled with leprosy heart filled with sin covered from head to toe without remedy without anywhere to go without the ability to make it go away through any means of our own but only through the blood of Jesus Christ and how does this all end up, this little short account, this powerful short account? I find it very interesting how it ends in verse 15. Look at this. So when the report went around concerning him, all the more. So what Jesus sort of wanted to sort of sequester the information, it actually got out more. So much so, where in another gospel account, we find that Jesus couldn't go to the cities anymore. He had to minister out in the country. So the great multitudes, they came together to hear and be healed of him, of their infirmities. So he himself, Jesus, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. What an interesting ending. This ending shows us what Jesus prioritized. It shows us that with this dramatic scene of this dramatic healing, the impossible power of God being displayed, what was most important to Jesus was that he could get away to his father and pray. And with all the busyness and all the crowds and all the stress, this was the priority and the key that we see in Jesus' private life that he got away to be with the Lord. Now, why is that significant? It's because so many times we're focusing our Christian faith on the outward results the outward fruit, the outward things that we do, and, and we're geared that way. We're geared to think that our success depends on how much we do or how much we bring in or how many people get saved or how many services we attend or how many uh, ministries we serve in or whatever. But the greatest thing that, has, that happened to the leper... And the greatest thing that happens to us as believers is that because of Jesus making the way for us to have access to the Father, because of Him washing away our sin, now the whole thing boils down to the ability of that individual to have fellowship with God. And Jesus is showing us no matter how powerful outwardly these displays of power were, it's not about all that. It's about this leper being able to go back and worship. It's about us being able to go back into the cool of the garden pre-fall in Genesis 1 and 2 where we were simply walking in the cool of the day with the Lord in fellowship. And it's so easy for our Christianity to get off track and think that other things are more important. And let me just tell you, 
There's nothing more important than this. There's nothing more important than our fellowship, personal and individual, with God. And when this begins to get misplaced or deprioritized, everything else will be out of sync. John 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Could it be that many of us as Christians are failing to experience the fullness of God in our life, the, the enjoyment of the blessings of God and the fruit of the Spirit in our life because we simply just don't spend time with Him. And when we do, it's rushed and it's hurried. Could it be that, as John 6.33 says, to seek ye first the kingdom, that if we're honest, we seek social media first. We seek entertainment and hobbies first. And I believe that that's why there's so much unchristian things happening in Christians' lives. Because the devotion that we see Jesus in His life and the priorities that He put are not always the priorities that we have in our life. And there is no substitute for spending time with the Lord. And maybe for some of us today as we finish here, maybe that's the message. Maybe the message is that Jesus has to come first. Maybe the message is that our sowing has much to do with sowing to ourself and the things of the world than it does in sowing the things of the Spirit. And because of that, like the child death rates 150 years ago, maybe we're not making the connection that the reason we're so stressed and filled with anxiety, fear, and worry is not because of some outside condition. Maybe it's because of our inside condition. Maybe it's because we're not spending time with the Lord. Maybe it's because we've prioritized the things of the world over the things of the Lord. And because of that, we're experiencing a high death rate to the fruit of the Spirit, to the things of God. And so we end up just going through the motions, running on fumes. You know, it's like your, your car when you need gas and you just barely make it and you just... And it starts sputtering and you're hoping you, like, you just get two more blocks. Many of us are Christians like that. And then we barely make it in. We put in like five bucks. And then we, a, a few days later, we're in the same place. We're sputtering, sputtering, sputtering. And then you read the Bible and you say, man, there's power there. There's abundant life there. There's, there's something going on where there's this joy in the midst of incredible obstacles, incredible difficulties. And I, I believe it comes down to this. And I didn't realize when I was preparing this message that this would be the message until I started just to understand more and more that really the leper was healed for fellowship. You and I were forgiven of our sins. Or another way to look at it, Jesus died on the cross for us for fellowship, to bring us into fellowship. So I believe the leprosy of the church today is this, is not fellowshipping with God. It's coming on a Sunday for an hour and think, I'm good. Unless the cowboys are on, then I don't come for an hour. I'm kidding on that because who would miss church for the Cowboys? But <laughs> maybe the Chiefs. But, but please hear my heart because just if, if I were a spiritual doctor, I would say this is the diagnosis. You're not spending time with the Lord. And you're not making the connection that the problems that you're having in your heart and your is you're not spending time with the Lord.
And so there's no other solution. You can't just read another book and hear another worship song, try to get yourself all whooped up. There's no substitute for spending time with the Lord. That's the message. There's no substitute for spending time with the Lord. And our culture has made it very difficult for us, hasn't it? Our culture is sort of sabotaging or attempting to sabotage and drawing our attention away from the Lord into every, everything, little things, tiny things, things that don't mean anything. And we're putting our time and energy into those things. And Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So as we leave from this place today, you might have to change your lifestyle. You might have to change how you do things and how you look at things. You might have to exercise some discipline in your life before a true believer in Christ. It may be hard at first, maybe weird or awkward at first, but you'll get to a place where there will be nothing better in your life than to get away with Jesus and spend time with Him in fellowship. That will be your dessert. That will be your vacation. That will be your rest. And we see this, and I want to read this as we conclude in verse 16. He himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your grace and your mercy that has given us the opportunity to come to your throne as often as we want and receive your love and grace and mercy. And Lord, I'm thinking about Mary and how she sat at your feet and you said that she had chosen the better thing. I pray, Lord, that we would be good at sitting at your feet, just hearing from you, repenting of our sins when necessary, speaking the things that are on our heart to you, allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way in us. I pray that we would be a people like that, Lord, and that we would draw deep from the well of you, Lord. And Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning first that is a, a spiritual leper, has never been cleansed of their sins, that is separated from you. And maybe somebody that's not making the connection that the reason their life is the way it is is because of their sin. And so I pray if that's you today, that right now you would cry out to the Lord and say, Father, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Wash me. Cleanse me like this leper of my sin. Forgive me, Lord. Right now I put my faith in you, Jesus. That's the prayer you say. That's your heart that you cry out to the Lord with. And He says that He will save you. And if you are a believer here, and you're a believer going through the motions, or a believer that's too busy for God, or a believer that doesn't have a devotional life, I, I'm not here to judge and here to tell you that it's often a struggle for me as well. And I just want to tell you, that that is the life that God has for us. So let's recognize it. Let's repent from it. And let's practically glorify the Lord by the time that we spend with Him. And Lord, I pray that You would revive Your church, that You would revive our hearts, that You would put a passion in us. And I pray as we begin to spend time with You that we would find that there would be, actually be a better condition and state of our mind, of our health, of our well-being, of our anxiety, of our frustration, of our trust. 
I pray, Lord, that we would see that you are the answer and spending time with you is the answer. So let that sweep over us, Lord. Bless your church. Bless this fellowship. Bless the mothers this day, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. And if anybody would like prayer this morning about anything, we'll have our prayer teams up front just as we sing this last song. Just come on up and uh, they would love to pray for you. And let's worship the Lord now. God bless you guys.